Welcome to Take the Lead Radio with Dr. Diane Hamilton, where she interviews some of the most successful leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, speakers, and other individuals who will inspire you to take the lead in your career and personal life. And now, here is Dr. Diane Hamilton. Welcome to Take the Lead Radio. This is Dr. Diane Hamilton, and I'm so glad you joined us today because we have Kathy Ireland and Amy Balliette here. Uh, Kathy is the CEO and Chief Designer of Kathy Ireland Worldwide. She is supermodel turned super mogul, as she's known. And uh, Amy is the CEO and founder of Killer Visual Strategies. So we've got two very powerful CEOs. This is gonna be a great show. Stay tuned, and we'll be back right after this. Are you interested in finding out more about how HR professionals or leadership consultants can become certified to give the groundbreaking new Curiosity Code Index Assessment? The certification program will provide the ability to administer the assessment at reduced rates. Participants will learn how to interpret the results of the CCI, as well as how to deliver an innovation plan workshop designed to improve curiosity, engagement, innovation, and productivity. To find out more, go to curiositycode.com. I am here with Kathy Ireland, who's supermodel turned super mogul. She's one of the 50 most influential people in fashion, the author of multiple books, including her latest, Fashion Jungle, co-authored with New York Times, uh, number one best-selling author, Rachel Van Dyken. It's so nice to have you here, Kathy. Oh, Diane, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, well, I was looking forward to this. You know, I've had all kinds of people from, you know, Steve Forbes to billionaires to all kinds of very successful people on the show. And my uh, connection to Forbes made me look up some of the Forbes things. And you've been on the cover of Forbes. You've been on the cover of many a magazine uh, that wasn't just related to fashion. And I was really fascinated with your story. And I, I know we don't have a ton of time, but I do want to get a little backstory on you. We know we, that, you know, who doesn't know who Kathy Ireland is from all the famous uh, modeling pictures and all that. But how did you get to that level before you even turned into this super mogul? Oh, thank you, Diane. Um, it's been a journey for sure. And uh, the, you know, the long ago modeling career, grateful it ended up being an amazing education. It was not part of the plan at all. <laughs> and I would say that the biggest uh, gift from that long ago career was all the rejection. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. Yeah. But when, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur, always worked, always loved business. First job, I was four years old. I still painted rocks from my wagon door to door. You know, I was, I was that kid going door to door selling everything and had a paper route. Uh, when we started with a, a single pair of socks, I was an aging pregnant model, started from our kitchen table, and then presenting those socks to retailers. We had every comment you can imagine, door slam in our faces, but that didn't, it, it certainly didn't uh, destroy me by any means. I mean, no means now we're talking, you know, I'll come back tomorrow. Maybe your circumstances will have changed or maybe you'll be in a better mood. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's really interesting. It ties into my research and curiosity of what holds people back in fear a lot of times. And if you don't see that as a negative thing, as a learning thing, that's that's really crucial. And you have taken just everything that you've learned and made it into, you know, everything's the next level better. And, and so I, I was interested in um, 
just all the different things you've done and you know writing books uh being in movies like necessary roughness i was looking at some of the things of dancing with the stars i mean you there's not too many things you haven't tried to do which i love that um I, I i think that what was interesting is that you take advice from warren buffett which is a nice friend and mentor to have how did you get such good friends Oh, my goodness. I met Warren Buffett through Irv Blumpkin of the Nebraska Furniture Mart. And so when we first got into the home industry, it was at a time when people who were known for other things didn't have um, furniture. They didn't weren't designing home furnishings. In fact, uh, Jay Leno, who I adore, mm-hmm. um, he actually laughed at me on uh, on television when I told him I was going into the home industry. Just, oh, you know, that was so funny. Uh-huh. Um, but just yeah. because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. I love a good challenge. And Mrs. B, Rose Blumpkin, um, for your audience, uh, she is amazing. And I had read about this, uh, I mean, this leader in the home industry and how she came to this country uh, virtually penniless. And she started the Nebraska Furniture Mart. Just this amazing woman. Hmm. I never, never got to meet her. Um, And there's this legendary handshake deal she had with Mr. Buffett. Um, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, um, Nebraska Furniture Mart is part of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh So the very first furniture market that um, we were launching in, in High Point, North Carolina, Mr. Blumpkin shows up. I was so nervous when I saw him. (laughs) Yeah. And he sees team members around me. And and I know he was thinking I had an entourage. And it's like, you know, I didn't have an assistant. Everybody, you know, this was the team. That's how I invested my money and putting a team together. But anyway, um, so Irv says, OK, Kathy takes me through alone. If, she, you know, if she doesn't know her stuff, I'm not buying. <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, That's good, though. Yeah. But, uh-huh. but he, you know what? He gave us a chance and he bought. And how Nebraska goes, so goes the country. He gave he gave us our first chance. And he and his family, they are cherished friends, family. Um, we, we work together. They're just amazing. And Mr. Buffett calls Irv Blumkin his best friend. So that's how I met um, Mr. Buffett, who also had a paper route when he was a kid. So he started inviting me to compete with him in these newspaper tossing competitions at this opening of his Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meetings. And Bill Gates would compete too. And uh, I, I got to tell you, Mr. Buffett is a fierce competitor. And <laughs> I, despite him having a little bit more experience than me, he practices till late at night. He's, That's he's great. very good. I love that he and uh, Gates always talk about how they value curiosity so much. And I, I think that that's such a, a huge aspect of what makes somebody successful in business. And, mm. you know, what I, what I really found interesting is how many types of businesses. I mean, you don't just sell clothing or uh, wedding dresses or home and garden or swimwear or eyewear. I mean, it's just all, it's so encompassing. It Does it ever get overwhelming that there's so much? Or do you ever want to scale back or are you wanting to expand more? No, thank you, Diane. Um, we we, we want to grow. We want to expand. When we started um, with that single pair of socks, that was the foundation. It felt like a really solid place to start. Uh, but it was never um, th- there were never limits on it, mm-hmm. and, um, and and something that I find in business too, 
uh, I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for every lesson, every failure. <laughs> Everything's been a lesson. Um, something I, I, I really, you know, have bumped into as, as many have are oftentimes people will want to put us in a box. They'll mm-hmm. want to put limits on us. Maybe it's because of our gender. Maybe it's because of a career that we once had, but okay, you can work in, in beauty or you can do, you know, this, that. nothing wrong with that, but it's right. like, well, why, you know, how, how about FinTech? That's a wonderful area in which to work. And our company works with some incredible, um, companies like American Family Insurance, amazing people there. Um, Ireland Pay is our merchant services. Uh, we work, um, we're working with UBS and with uh, something that, that we yeah. launched hmm. during um, the, the pandemic is Kathy Ireland Small Business Network. And this is in an effort to, I, I mean, small businesses are the heartbeat of our country. And this is to not only help them survive and thrive but to scale and to bring new opportunities and relationships to them um entertainment uh that's an area in which we work um we work with incredible people vanessa williams uh marilyn McCoo, and billy davis jr our company worked with janet jackson and uh got her back to her rightful place in number one and then bmg gave us a record label um working with magnolia hill um Sam Haskell, who just uh, brought to Netflix, uh, Dolly Parton's Christmas in the Square, some amazing people also um, publishing and real estate, Kathy Ireland American Home, bringing affordable homes to people throughout our country with uh, single moms, military veterans in mind, as well as luxury estates around the world. I work with an amazing team. And that's, uh, that's an amount of great, work. great people. Well, you know, I, I noticed you also had worked with Elizabeth Taylor, who I met a long time ago. And I'm thinking Aww. of all, yeah, she was unbelievable. Um, I'm thinking of all the things that you've done. I just was watching some of the videos because there's so much on you. You know, it's hard to pick what you want to talk about. I, 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 what's it like to see Peter Griffith singing to your cutout on Family Guy or to see, you know, <laughs> that you're this icon that that just it reaches at all levels you know what i mean you you are so kind diane uh, <laughs> well, that was a great scene you have it was great i love oh. that show but um i don't know if you watch family guy but you it, it's so interesting to um l- look at your transformation i mean it, modeling is, you know, a whole different ball game than starting your own company. So where did you get this business acumen? I mean, what training, just because I teach so many business courses, I'm always interested in how entrepreneurs learn the business. Well, you know, the entire time I worked as a model, I was trying and failing businesses. It just took me a really long time. <laughs> yeah. had, had one of those earlier ventures been successful, the modeling career wouldn't have gone on so long. But I, 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 early on, I didn't feel comfortable earning a paycheck off how someone else perceived that I looked. I saw how, how fickle uh, that was, and that just wasn't a lot of security there. So it was, I think, the lessons I learned as a child. Um, selling rocks, selling newspapers. My dad said when I got that paper route, he said, Kathy, always give 110%. If the customer expects the paper on the driveway, you get it on the front porch. And that was the foundation of learning to under-promise and over-deliver. Right. And it's it's a foundation of our business today. In fact, a 
you know, our, our team members, when somebody does a great presentation, will say, you got it on the front porch. <laughs> That's a great, I love that. Just, and sales, it's such a huge thing. You know, so many people mm. don't do that and you really do have to over deliver. And um, I, I was looking at what you've over delivered and it's in the billions and in your companies and you're outselling some of the big names. I mean, we know, you know Martha Stewart's and the names out there. Did you have any idea when you started this that it was going to lead to something as huge as it led to? Or is this just every day you're just surprised by what, what happens next? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's an excellent question, Diane. Uh, it's humbling, and we're so grateful for the opportunities that we have. And yet, at the same time, we feel like we're a baby brand just getting started because there's so much we want to do. And sometimes people say, well, why, you know, why do you want to, why do you keep working? Why do you want to do this? And I really feel that it is such a blessing to be exposed to needs that are so much greater than us and also to opportunities that are so much greater than us. And one of the things we've had the privilege of doing is working with the youth program at the UN on their millennium development goals, which include everything from eradicating hunger and poverty and disease to supporting education and the environment. And uh, we've added the support of military veterans and their families and also the fight against human trafficking. So everyone wow. with whom we have a relationship with, a business relationship, that's our first vetting process, our getting to know you process, is we share with them the the goals. They're, they're a diverse group of goals. We've got 10 of them. and. Um, we don't demand a monetary amount. It can be uh, volunteer time with their teams. Yet we need to know that there's a commitment and that in success, we're going to be able to do some wonderful things and make a difference. And once in a while, we'll get a we'll get somebody who's like, no, not interested in any of that. And then yeah. we're like, okay, well, let's not waste each other's time. We're not going to be a good fit. Um, and moving on. But uh, it's we, we work with incredible incredible people. Oh my goodness. I feel so fortunate uh, for the amazing people and many of the, the relationships that we enjoy are, are decades long. I mean, we have some new ones. We just started working with um, uh, our dear friends, Marcus and Bobby Limonis of Camping World and um, uh, so much respect for, um, for Marcus and Bobby, amazing people. And uh, we're designing uh, camping furniture and wonderful products for this great group. But from brand new relationships to relationships that are decades old, um, it, it becomes like family. So yeah. it's, it's all about people and choosing the right people, the right fit. Sometimes, you know, people are not always who they say they are. So every once in a while right. we bump into that. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. But for the most part, I, I mean, we, we have such a great team. I, I feel just so, so fortunate in that. Well, it's really important to give back. And I saw your work with the National Pediatric Cancer Foundation. I mean, you're just doing a lot of really amazing things. Uh, British Vogue called you the world's richest model. And so you've had this great responsibility of giving back. And But you're, if you're doing all these successful things, I'm curious what would make you want to write as well, because uh, writing isn't the most financially <laughs> rewarding thing. Coming from somebody who's written five books, I can tell you that. Um, I am curious, because you wrote a novel, and that's unique. 
Um, that was, uh, yeah, that surprised me too, Diane. I wasn't. Yeah. Well, tell me why you did that. You know, I, I was not planning on sharing those stories. It's fiction and it's based on true stories that Mm -hmm. happened in my life Mm -hmm. as well as roommates and girls I knew in the fashion industry. Really, it was when I met, um, Rachel Van Dyken and, um, you know, who you shared a New York times bestselling author Mm -hmm. and Rachel and I started talking. I, if not for, for that, um, for, for Rachel, I, I don't believe I would have done this, but she understood how to take those stories and weave it into just a wonderful read, a wonderful novel. And, um, there, there's a lot of intrigue and, um, she's, she's just absolutely fantastic, but it is a cautionary tale. And my reason for, uh, for actually wanting to share these stories is because I think we look at the finished product and it is so glamorous and retouched and all of that, but we often don't see what goes on behind the scenes, the underbelly of that industry. And it can be pretty gnarly. And, uh, there were things I experienced as a teenager, um, that I want other people to be alert to and watch out for. And I, what I tell young people, I tell people of every age, um, to really, figure out what your values are. Um, for me, it's, it's my faith, it's my family, and then it's being in service through our work. Figure out your values and put boundaries in place to protect them because they will be challenged. And uh, no is a complete sentence. Um, I was in my <laughs> 40s before I learned that one. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> no, thank you is good, but you know, no works. So, you know, I think oftentimes we have to say, no to good things in an effort to say yes to great things. I was um, looking at some of the things they said. You said no, um, someone didn't respect your no. Is that a true story that a photographer tried to uh, have you pose topless and you decked him? Is that, or is that an incorrect quote? Um, no, that happened. <laughs> I was in Paris uh-huh. and I was, um, you know, I. I, I'm a teenager. I find myself, I'm in the, the apartment mm-hmm. of this photographer and thinking back, it's like, how, how would I go to an apartment with this strange man? But it just seemed perfectly normal. Right. And I thought all adults were good people like my mom and dad and, mm-hmm. you know, trusted people. And he wanted me to, um, uh, yeah, to, to post help us like, no, you know, I, I'm not, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in California. You get arrested for such things. Um, well, so I'm not judging other people, but it wasn't comfortable for me. So I said, no, thank you. And he started showing me pictures of other women you had. And I said, well, you can get them for your photos. Uh-huh. Um, no, thank you. But he thought he crossed that boundary with me. He crossed that line and he just like started like to push me, you know, into the bathroom to, to ch- and so you know the 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 left hook just came out (laughs) (laughs) i mean he wasn't Uh hurt but i got away yeah so well i'm surprised that's that was the end of that if that's as much as you had i I would imagine you got a lot of people uh you know trying to cross the line and it's it's tough would you recommend being a model to teenagers today to young girls today oh i'm always i always feel like the 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 naysayer the killjoy when people ask me i i just think you've got to be so alert and so aware and it is possible i mean you can you can survive that business you can do well you can there can be good things from it 
Um, but it's tough. And I think you really have, I think that even the most secure people can have a, a challenge with it. Um, so you, you've got to, you know, you got to be alert and protect yourself. Do you have and, and daughters? And always have a plan, and you have a plan B as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just um, because you have limited control as far as, unless you're producing the, the photo shoots, you have limited control on that. So it's always good to have a plan B. Well, you mentioned you had children. Uh, do, do you have daughters or, uh, I'm curious, what how many kids We you have? have two daughters, mm-hmm. a son, and our son is married, um, all beautiful, beautiful children, beautiful young people. And uh, they've actually all been approached to model at different times. And it's been interesting to, I I was so afraid. Like I, you know, our son, who's our oldest, I mean, he didn't know until I think he was in third or fourth grade. Someone at school said something and he's like, mom, are you famous? (laughs) No, I mean, not in comparison to, some of my work is in the public eye, so uh-huh. I'm known by some to some, but no, not in comparison to uh, others. But so oh. there was always kind of that fear, but yet when, just because of what things I experienced, but yet I'm so grateful. All of our children, amazing people, great heads on their shoulders, and they have other gifts mm-hmm. and they enjoy using those other gifts, so it really hasn't been of interest. So oh, that's I, I, yeah. I, all that worry for nothing. <laughs> well, I think you're, you're very famous. The uh, Sports Illustrated cover that you graced, was it still, is that the main one that you were, uh, you know, I know you did 13 of them, I believe, but didn't, doesn't that one still rank as the, the number one of all time for them, best selling? There was the, the, the 25th anniversary issue, yes, yes. and that was, um, uh, and oh my goodness, and Julie Campbell, the, the editor of that issue, and she founded it, um, she, she continues to be um, an amazing part of our lives. Just what, what a brilliant woman. And I got to watch her navigate. I got to watch her navigate and fight for the integrity of her brand and navigate in a world where um, there were very few women at that time. And uh, she she was just amazing. Well, I know you've done so much. And I think a lot of people want to follow you and want to know more. Is there a website or something you'd like to share? And you know, you're a lot of charities and things you're dealing with. I didn't know which site to share for you. Is there something you'd like to share? Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I mean, LinkedIn is great, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all all the handles, um, kathyireland.com. Um, are great. I love, I love connecting with people. We've met some, we've met some amazing people. I was really slow, Diane, to getting on, um, social media too. Our, our president and CMO, uh, Stephen oh, Roseberry yeah. said, you gotta do this. <laughs> and I resisted it and resisted it. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful. We've met some incredible people along the way. Well, you, you really have done a lot of amazing things and I hope people check out your new book and they can get that on Amazon too. And, uh, this was a lot of fun, Kathy. Thank you. I know you had a busy day. Thank you for fitting this into Aww. your schedule. This was so much fun. Well, Diane, thank you. It is an honor to talk with you. Congratulations to you on all your success. I wish I could be interviewing you. Uh, Uh, You're amazing. So uh, thank you. Thank you. And we will be back right after this message. 
Curiosity is a critical and direct link to improving motivation and communication-based issues that challenge organizations. By improving workers' curiosity, you can enhance employee engagement, emotional intelligence, innovation, productivity, and many other byproducts that come with that intrinsic but underutilized attribute. To find out more about how to improve curiosity, please go to curiositycode.com. I am here with Amy Balliette, who is the CEO and founder of Killer Visual Strategies, an industry-leading visual communication agency that designs and executes communication and content marketing solutions for Fortune 1000 clients. She is also the author of Killer Visual Strategies, Engage Any Audience, Improve Comprehension, and Get Amazing Results Using Visual Communication. So it's so nice to have you here, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I was looking forward to this because I, you know, I teach a lot of marketing, communication, uh, all the things that you write about classes. And you know, uh, I do a lot of consulting and different things where this is a very important area to um, just to, to get into how to get results in in the business world and especially right yep. now it's a crazy time um right <laughs> and I, I know you have uh you're the founder as i said of killer visual strategies but i kind of want to get a backstory on you of what led to your interest in this yeah definitely um it's a little all over the map what i what i love to say at this point is really lean into the fact that i am a millennial millennial um, although I like to claim Zennial because I'm in that little four year gap there. Um, <laughs> but millennials change their careers a lot because um, it's we're a different generation. We're a generation that has um, grown up with a lot of innovation and the ability to jump into a lot of different career types as a result. And so um, I started in the world of visual storytelling um, because I, I started in the world of film which is still a huge passion of mine. I went to film school oh. um, and really was excited about making a career in film, but I minored in marketing. And the two things, film and marketing, kind of felt like they conflicted with one another. I could either be a marketer and you know work for major brands and focus on finding ways to help you know help bring them attention and and, and bring them, engagement with their customers or i could be an artist and work on film and create documentaries and things like that and so i i kind of had this con conflict back and forth for the first start of my career um and found ways to work in the film and marketing space combined um hmm. but then after that i kind of pivoted entirely into online marketing moved entirely away from film and video editing and animation and just went right into um, SEO and online marketing, learned web design and development so that I could really make sure I was properly optimizing websites and, and just really fell in love with that side of the world. I, I realized I'm more of a marketer than anything else. And so when Killer started, it started through a series of accidents. Um, Really, I was just trying to do a variety of different types of marketing campaigns for a completely different business, a completely different business model that I had. Um, and people started to respond to the infographics that I was putting out. So it kind of just led to this pivot where we went from owning a bunch of websites that we were monetizing in different ways 
to selling off the most valuable of the websites and shifting all of our attention to becoming a full service visual communication agency because visual storytelling had really changed into a great tool for digital marketing. So it took all of my passions and combined it into one. Um, and as we evolved, we started adding in animation as a service and live action video as a service. So I started getting to take on a lot more projects that really fit in my genius zone as well. Well, you know, this is all fascinating. Just when I was the MBA program chair at Forbes, I had to write a brand publishing course where we got into so much of the marketing and the challenges of all the software and all. And as you were talking about some of this visual stuff, it was coming back, <laughs> some of the stuff I had to deal with, um, which was I loved. But it's, you know, I'm a, a computer nerd. I love all the stuff behind the scenes. But mm -hmm. it, it's just so challenging when there's so many vendors and there's so much content and there's how do you stand out how do you personalize a message at scale all those kinds of things kept coming up right so mm -hmm. um i know you you do a lot of you linkedin learning instructor you do a lot of this stuff uh you write for ink and and you touch on so many different aspects what's the main thing people hire you to help them with people hire us to engage their audiences. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. If we want to make it as short and simple as possible, they're trying to get the attention of their audiences, mm -hmm. but they also want to keep that attention. Mm -hmm. And you can't grasp the attention of, of today's consumers with just any old content. For instance, we used to be able to slap some text on top of a stock photo and that was enough. But those days are long past. Today's audiences expect high quality content, custom bespoke content that is really focused on exactly their needs and speaking exactly to them. So we really do focus on finding ways to create personalized content, content that is truly customized in a way that engages the audience and brings the story forward but the other very important piece of that is everything we do is rooted in visual communication because the best way to engage today's audiences is not to lead with text. Text should be the afterthought. People don't take the time to read until you've hooked them and given them enough reasons to spend their time diving into your text-based content. So what clients come to us for is First and foremost, creative content that engages, but that engagement needs to stick. And so to ensure that it sticks, every single thing that we do leads with the best practices for visual communication and really honors the science of visual communication. Without that, the content would fail. It, it, it would maybe catch some attention, but it won't maintain that attention and it won't send customers into the conversion funnel. You know, it's interesting when you talk about what we used to be able to do. Um, mm -hmm. I'm on, I'm a boomer on the vert and on the edge of X. I'm a boom Xer. 
<laughs> trying to go with what you did. Um, right. <laughs> but I was just interviewing right before you, uh, the former CEO of Dun Dunkin' Donuts and mm -hmm. just how with their ad when i was young there was an ad the guy he would go time to make the donuts he'd wake up every day and say the same thing and it was like a huge ad they won all awards for this kind of thing and it's kind of fun to look back at what worked in the past is any of it recyclable or are we completely in a new way that we can't even go back to any of that old stuff unfortunately i think we're in a spot where we can't really go back i mm -hmm. mean we can recycle styles. Mm -hmm. For instance, the the kind of loud color illustration style of the late 80s, early 90s, mm -hmm. that's coming back in full force right now. So illustration styles, they kind of recycle and come back at the same level of clothing styles. Mm -hmm. um, so fashion and illustration have a nice, um, nice correlation to them that's really interesting to witness. But the type of content, that audiences expect today is so much different than what they used to expect. And there are so many reasons behind that. One big reason is simply the iPhone. I mean, that completely changed how we consume information. All of a sudden, we were in a place where we could get content anywhere we were as long as we had a cell signal the minute the iPhone came out. And, and on top of that, our need to consume content went from um, consuming content through normal traditional means to suddenly having a very tiny screen that could deliver huge amounts of information to us. So we have had to adjust how we deliver content to ensure it fits a small screen, but also fits the decreasing attention spans of today's audiences which are decreasing left and right because of all of the advancements in technology. Um, I mean, you look at just social media and the dopamine hits we get as people hit a thumbs up on something that we post. And, and that need for that constant confirmation is something that we need to consider as marketers as we produce content. How do we produce content that elicits that exact same response and excitement in our customers and in our audiences? And when you think about that, the old form way of, of advertising just doesn't work anymore. We, we have to really consider all of the channels available to us and all of the devices and how to ensure our content caters to those. Yeah, as you're mentioning, you know, the shorter content and certain things, it, it, I had flown to New York before COVID and uh, for Verizon, we created these um, short videos that they use for internal communications within the company where they would, uh, since I'm an expert in the area of uh, curiosity, they, they filmed a little bit about me and then a little bit about an employee who was really super curious and it was successful because of it. And then they would make these little video vignette kind of things to, to put mm -hmm. within their communications, within their stores, within their onboarding and different things. Are, are you doing a lot of that kind of thing for internal use as well? Yes, we really are. I, I like to really look at content these days as um, making sure that it's bite-sized and digestible. And that means those little vignettes, those short form videos that offer a, a single set of thoughts, not something that goes too in depth. Um, and when you think about internal communications, 
those actually drive so much more value within companies than um, you know the HR rep sending out another lengthy email explaining process changes or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so you know we have companies hire us all the time to create training content for their employees, um, where we will be you know producing videos that are under a minute in length that introduce key concepts that then drive to interactive training modules that are also quite short that include gamification and other ways to engage that audience. And throughout we use um, kind of a set of visual symbolism to help increase comprehension and understanding. Because when you pair short form text with universal iconography, you actually increase the comprehension of the viewer by an average of 89%. And so visual communication done right can drastically improve understanding and help when it comes to training your end audience on new processes and things like that. Um, there's this really cool company out there that just launched this year. It's called Voodle. And Voodle's quick elevator pitch is TikTok for work. And that's <laughs> like really that. what it is, right? Uh -huh. You can do these videos that are a minute or less and send them out to your entire team. Mm -hmm. You can send them to different Slack channels if you want, or you can email them, or you can have your own kind of Voodle social network with on, within the platform. These are new and unique ways to keep your employees engaged and really build around a culture of remote work as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I've worked virtually forever, you know, and I, I can remember doing, um, when you're talking about these videos that the companies make, I can remember training videos in 1985, been a while, um, <laughs> <laughs> for pharmaceutical training, you know, and they'd have these pretend sales presentations you'd have to watch, and they were so cornball, you know, and mm -hmm. like, hello, doctor, and it was so unrealistic, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys whatever they do now, it's got to be so much better. But it was really like cutting edge at the time, you know, and, and as we're talking about Voodle, what I'm not sure if I said that properly, or some of these um, different shorter content bite sized pieces, we hear that a lot. How short can they get? I mean, it's almost kind of reminds me, I don't know if it was Oh God, I can't remember which movie it was from where he's like, you know, I'm going to have six minute abs because it's better than seven minute abs. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that was Zoolander or whatever it was. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> How low can we go? And what what is the attention span? And what what are the numbers? I'm sure you probably deal with that once in a while of what people listen to what they won't listen to. And that's why YouTube, I'm hitting skip, skip, skip to get through those first five seconds. Um, yep. What, why are we so impatient and what is it getting to? So um, we're really impatient because we have so much at our disposal. We, we live in the age of information overload. We have information coming at us left and right from all angles. And honestly, because of all of that, we, we need to really focus our energy and time on only the things that matter most. As a result, our attention spans are about five seconds long right now. Now, attention span is defined as how much time you will spend looking at something before you decide if you want to give it more of your time. So if you pass that five second threshold, you can keep somebody hooked 
for anywhere from another 40 seconds to another 40 minutes, depending on what is in front of that person. Um, so for instance, if it's a motion graphic, an animated video, you wanna keep those these days under 60 seconds in length. It used to be under 90 seconds when I started Killer, but now it's 60 or less. So it's definitely going down. Um, and you need to lead with original custom illustration. You can't use stock imagery or stock vector assets because they're so blatantly obvious these days. Mm -hmm. You also need to lead with as little text as possible because in five seconds, the brain isn't actually going to fully comprehend the text in front of it, in front of it. So if you are relying on text to hook your audience, you're going to lose them right off the bat because five seconds isn't a lot of time. You need to lead with a visual hook that really gets their attention and excites them. One of my favorite statistics that I, I love to share, it's one of my favorite rules of, of visual communication. One of the first rules I ever came up with back in like 2012 is people care less than goldfish. The average goldfish has an attention, the average goldfish, I love how I just said that, goldfish <laughs> have an attention span of nine seconds. So we only have five seconds. We care less than goldfish. Mm -hmm. It's really important that you find ways to connect with your audience first through that bespoke, high quality visual content. If you can get them, if you can hook them, then they will dive deeper into your brand or your service and learn more. They'll dive deeper into more text heavy content after that fact. So we really have to kind of keep adapting. And, and to answer your question, how short will things get? I don't actually know. It, it's, it is a concerning statistic that mm -hmm. our attention spans are only five seconds long. It is a concerning realization that today's motion graphics should be 60 seconds or less instead of 90 seconds or less. Um, I don't think it's possible to tell the right story um, in an even shorter timeline. We've done the 30 second push, but in 30 seconds, it's hard to get a three act structure out in a motion graphic. So we really do try to focus on that 45 to 60 second range these days. You know, you bring up some interesting points. I was thinking of how, you know, the whiteboard drawing thing, how you look at that and you're like, oh, I'm so sick of seeing those. I don't want to see those yep. anymore. And then you, you, you saying you can't use the stock images because everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's obviously a posed group and whatever thing. So um, as I when I spoke to Sherm um, a couple it was last year or year before, um, I remember, you know, you want to have just a graphic. You don't want to have words. And, and so you do all the things they tell you to do. And then when, I remember when I left, they're like, well, can we have your your slides? I'm like, well, there's nothing on the slides <laughs> except for pictures. You know what I mean? And you're, mm -hmm. we've lost the bulleted points. So then I started putting more stuff on pictures and on the slides. Uh, when I give talks, it because so people would have content later. But then you're like, oh, you're 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 breaking that rule because you don't want to have just first it was bulleted points, then it was pictures, and then now they want content again. And then how do you know where to get pictures? How do you know how much to give? I mean, I know you speak at South by Southwest, you know, all these different places. What do you do as a speaker when you're trying to get your message across? When you get these conflicting things, and where do you get these images if you don't use stock images anymore? 
So every single thing that we produce is custom illustration. Um, I'll use stock imagery to make a point, Mm -hmm. but I won't use stock imagery if I'm referencing something that has nothing to do with stock. Mm -hmm. So I will only use stock imagery in my presentations if I'm talking about stock imagery specifically. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's a good idea. Everything else, yeah. Everything else is entirely original. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, one of the things that we do to prepare for a year of speaking, because I'll typically do about 30 conferences a year, um, and often over the course of those 30 conferences, I'm doing about three or four topics in Mm -hmm. total. Mm -hmm. So it's just dependent on the conference and their needs as well as the audience. So at the start of the year, we will identify what those topics are going to be for the year. And then we will identify all of the most um, reputable and recent statistics that are needed to help validate what we're talking about in those conferences. And we'll actually go ahead and design all of it up front. We won't design the slides. We will um, go into Adobe Illustrator and design all of the different data viz and iconography needed for those slides, which inevitably gives us kind of this digital toolkit of assets that lets me just pull things into PowerPoint as needed to quickly produce slides. But my slides are not text heavy as well. Mm -hmm. So I've always had that same problem where people come to me afterwards and they ask for the deck. And I think to myself, well, why? (laughs) What are you going to get from this deck? (laughs) Pretty Um, pictures. (laughs) Exactly. And and so one of the things that I've done um, to aid in that is I will actually fill in the notes section of of the deck Mm -hmm. so that they can get the context even further. But honestly, a big reason I wrote my my latest book, um, which is also called Killer Visual Strategies, like my company, mm-hmm. um, was because of that. Everybody kept requesting decks, and I, I just felt like the deck wasn't going to do the content justice. Right. While, yes, it has really great, great stats, and you can go through any one of my decks and walk away with 20 or 30 great statistics – you need to know more than just the statistic. You need to know the why behind the statistic, the who behind the statistic. Understanding those things helps you really understand how to take that stat and create some actionable steps out of it. Um, For instance, one of my favorite statistics to share is that 94% of first impressions of your um, brand or service will be based entirely on the design of the content your customers see. So design is is such an important thing to consider these days. 10 years ago, you could slap together an ugly design and people didn't care. Mm -hmm. They just cared about the products you were selling. These days though, there's so much competition out there that audiences want to feel like you're taking the time to earn their attention. They want to know that you're creating content that they can't create themselves. And so as a result, we have far more discerning tastes and we form our first impressions really fast because visual information gets to our brains 60,000 times faster than any other form of communication that exists. So we're forming those first impressions based on your visual content. And if you're not elevating your design year over year over year, you'll be left behind. And so just hearing that stat on its own 
you can come to some quick conclusions, but hearing that stat followed by all of the context I just gave you makes it a far more important consideration when you're planning your content for the next calendar year. Well, as you're talking about planning your content, you know, I, when I teach marketing, we talk about content calendars and all this thing. And, and, and I, I'm thinking of my students in general and the courses I teach. Um, you design courses with, you know, a lot of times there's, they take something like a VARC, which tells you if they're visual, auditory, kinesthetic type of thing. And mm-hmm. um, you can design content based on generational influences in the marketing field. You know, you just don't, you know, maybe what a boomer wants is a little different than what a Gen Z wants. How, where, where do you get your research for all these stats you have and how do you design based on so many different preferences? So first I'll talk about designing based on different preferences because mm-hmm. um, I could go down that research rabbit hole for a while and I wanna make sure I'm giving <laughs> these equal. <laughs> okay. So designing based on different preferences is really a matter of understanding who that core audience is and making sure that you have audience segments. When you have audience segments in place, you know a, a typical brand will have anywhere from three to maybe seven audience segments, although seven's a lot to have. So we often suggest, you know, try to define five key audience segments and then create a visual language for each one. So in other words, based on who that audience type is, we can identify an illustration style that will resonate with that audience type. And then we can create content specific to that audience type utilizing that illustration style. We might be utilizing a specific set of fonts as well, a specific color palette, and then also be beyond just those visual choices, successful visual content is 50% narrative. It's not just all about the visual output. It's also about the narrative that's laying the foundation. You need to have a great narrative to have great content. So even if you're using as little text as possible, your content has to give people some valuable takeaways. And it's identifying what's valuable to that end audience and and speaking in a tone that matters to that audience. So we encourage our clients to create very specific segment-based visual languages that build off of their brand. Um, When it comes to research, that is a a beast all in of itself. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Killer, right? Uh-huh. Kill, killer, my company killer, is part of a um, portfolio of companies called Material. Um, Material is an insights-driven marketing agency. It, it consists of um, killer. It consists of... Kelton Global, which is one of the leading insights and research firms in the country, Um, Lieberman Research Worldwide, one of the other leading insights and research firms in the country, Um, Karma, a phenomenal PR firm, T3, an amazing innovation marketing firm, the list goes on. Um, We have such an amazing portfolio of companies within Material. And because of that portfolio of companies, we have the ability to get some amazing research because it's driven by Kelton and LRW. And and, I mean, they do a variety of consumer insights research for their clients. 
So we're able to call survey data, do online listening to really understand what the trends are out there. Um, we're, we're able to do focus groups. Now, th those are for times when we need to really dive deep and get some custom research put together. But at the same time, there's a lot of great research already out there. You have no clue how many times I will quote HubSpot as an example. Hmm. They pull together some of the best statistics on marketing that there are. That there are. Um, Content Marketing Institute, that provides a yearly report that um, surveys hundreds, oftentimes tens of thousands of CMOs around the world. And based on those survey results, identifies all the key trends, what's working, what's not working in the world of content. Um, the CMI annual report is, is honestly one of my most valuable pieces of research out hmm. there. So I look towards reputable sources I check the context of their research, make sure that the, the focus group or the sample size is large enough for the data to matter. Um, to give you an example, that goldfish statistic that I was telling yeah. you about just now. Mm -hmm. Originally, I, was, I would say to people that consumers have an average attention span of eight seconds. And that's because there was a report in 2012 put out by Microsoft that suggested that the average attention span is eight seconds long. At the time, I wasn't doing super high quality research. I was still learning all there was to learn about researching reputable sources and data. In this situation, I saw the word Microsoft or the name Microsoft and the eight seconds and ran with it. Yeah. But when I dove deeper into that, Microsoft was only studying 112 people Mm -hmm. which is not representative of the entire right. population. And the eight second statistic was actually referencing a different study from a different organization. So when I went down the rabbit hole trying to find the original source, I actually couldn't find any published source that said eight seconds was a legitimate statistic. Mm. So instead, I took the definition of attention span which again is um, how long somebody will spend looking at something before they decide if they want to give it more of their attention. And I started looking for various studies that spoke specifically to that, to that idea of attention. Mm -hmm. And I found bounce rate studies. I found eye tracking studies. Um, I found content sharing and, and content engagement studies, studies put out by Google, HubSpot, other studies from Microsoft, Vimeo, YouTube, Facebook, the list goes on. All of them came back with five seconds. Hmm. It, it was such an interesting combination, interesting. right? Mm -hmm. But that is what brought me to five seconds as the number. I stopped using eight seconds. And what's funny is when people quote that exact study today, um, and they say the eight seconds and the nine second goldfish joke uh -huh. that they'll often reference um, Microsoft, but they're they link back to an interview that Microsoft did of me. <laughs> and so they're they're quoting me, uh -huh. but they're 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 giving Microsoft the credit. But in the end, I'm like the tertiary source. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and, that and shows so, you how people cite. 
Exactly. Exactly. You've got to go to the primary source and you got to get the context behind how that data even came to life. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's really interesting to find the the sources for data. I, I try to get more uh, research on the the impact of curiosity in the workplace in terms of innovation engagement. And it's just so hard to, it's just so much content, but there's not a lot of research in certain areas. Do you spend, mm-hmm. how much, do you must spend hours and hours? Oh yeah. And, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, days and months, at, but ties into once after you add it all up, it's just crazy. But yeah, I, I think what you do is really, um, really interesting. Of course, I, I love it when I teach the brand publishing course that I created uh, and I don't get to teach it that often. But whenever they I, I do some associate faculty work for different universities and the one at Forbes, sometimes they'll send me back into that course. And I love teaching that because it's so much fun. So I'm sure I'll include this in that course uh, as extra information, too. But uh, awesome. this was so much fun. Thank you so much, Amy, for being on my show. I know a lot of people are going to want to know how they can follow you and find out more how can they reach you definitely um you can find me on twitter at amy Balliet. although i will be honest i don't tweet a lot um (laughs) but you can definitely contact me there but i'm most active on linkedin um also at amy Balliet on linkedin um i i will post any podcast i'm on i post my podcast interviews there i post articles there Um, I do a lot of writing on Medium and post that back onto LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is the best place. And then, of course, if you want to really dive deep into all things visual communication and learn exactly how to create content that truly succeeds online, my book is available on Amazon. It's called Killer Visual Strategies, and it is literally 10 years of industry lessons and and you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I share everything. I'm an open book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are, you do a lot of sharing. I know you've spoken to more than 175 conferences around the globe (laughs) and you do a lot of amazing work and it was really fun having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll be back right after this message. Do you know someone who might benefit from taking the Curiosity Code Index Assessment? The CCI is the first and only assessment that determines the factors that inhibit curiosity. It's simple. If you recommend the assessment to someone else, you can receive 20% of the purchase price that they pay when they take the CCI through the link provided by you. To obtain the link and become an affiliate, please go to drdianehamilton.com forward slash affiliate. Well, I'd really like to thank both Kathy and Amy for being my guests today. We get so many great guests on this show. If you've missed any past episodes, you can catch them at drdianehamilton.com. Of course, we air wherever podcasts air and on the AM FM stations listed on our site. But it's kind of nice to read the shows. They're transcribed. So if you want to pick up a book or whatever we've talked about on the show, the links are there. So Feel free to check those out. You can also find out more about the Curiosity Code Index and the Perception Power Index and all of my speaking and training and all the information is all available on that site. So it's all uh, very simple to find. If you don't find it at the drop down menu at the top, please look at the bottom for links like our affiliate link and other things are, are listed there as well. So hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you join us for the next episode of Take the Lead Radio.
You've been listening to Take the Lead with Dr. Diane Hamilton on C-Suite Radio.